Well, today as we continue our study in Ephesians, we start this new series on family relationships and roles called Family Portraits, Snapshot in Ephesians, and we'll be looking today at the role of the wife. Sadly, we live in a time when the definition of family is confused and even attacked as illustrated this very week by our Supreme Court decisions. Listen to this quote. The tendency today is to stress the equality of men and women by minimizing the unique significance of our maleness and femaleness. But this depreciation of male and female personhood is a great loss. It is taking a tremendous toll on generations of young men and women who do not know what it means to be a man or a woman. Confusion over the meaning of sexual personhood today is epidemic. The consequences of this confusion is not a free and happy harmony among gender-free persons relating on the basis of abstract competencies. The consequence, rather, is more divorce. More homosexuality, more sexual abuse, more promiscuity, more social awkwardness, and more emotional distress and suicide that comes with the loss of God-given identity. Our culture tells us that we don't need husbands. We don't need fathers to have a family. Our culture tells us that we don't need wives. We don't need mothers to have a family. Now, I was raised most of my growing up years by a single mom, and we were a family. She worked to provide food and clothing and a home, and she sacrificed an awful lot of her life to try to make our lives as good as she could. Of course, single-parent homes are families. The definition of family is broad enough to encompass them. The challenge in our culture today is not so much with the broadening definition of family, but with the outright rejection of the traditional family. Our world today says that dads aren't necessary to have a good family. Marriage and family is just all right without a husband or father. Our world today says it's not necessary to have a mom to have a good family. Marriage and family is just all right without a wife or a mother. It's one thing that by circumstance, There is no mom and dad in the home. But it is something altogether different and far more damaging to say that there is no need for a mom or a dad in a family. You know, for thousands of years, it has been understood from both a religious and Christian ethic and from a societal and conventional ethic that the ideal family is one man and one woman making a lifetime commitment of marriage to each other and raising children. It's really stunning how God has put this in the heart of all people, with all the diverse cultures, over all the globes spanning thousands and thousands of years, from atheists and irreligious to religious people and Christians, there is something within us that just knows the basic fundamental institution of society is the family, a wife and mother, a husband and father. With children. I don't stand before you today proclaiming anything new or anything radical. I'm simply saying what's biblically true, what's intrinsically true, what's observationally true, and what has been accepted as truth for thousands of years. 
as our society rejects the traditional family and tries to define it out of existence, we must tenderly, compassionately, yet firmly hold to the truth that shines the light of God's word and God's love in this ever-growing darkness. Yelling at the darkness has no value, but rather turning on the light of God's word and God's love. Christians walking in love, walking in light, walking in wisdom, can and will have a tremendous impact on our world. It's growing more and more imperative that we as true believers in the truth of God's word reach out with the truth in love. Well, that's my endeavor today. I want to lovingly lift up God's word so that we can be equipped and challenged to follow it. I stand before you today as a man, a husband, and a father. Guess what I've never been? I have never been a woman, a wife, or a mother. That's not a hard thing to imagine, is it? I'm going to do my best today to speak on the topic of womanhood from a biblical perspective, from what the Bible teaches. But to say the least, the best way, and I might add, the most biblical way for a woman to learn the art of womanhood is from a godly woman. Titus 2, 3-5 says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, are given to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train... The young women, train them to what? Train them to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Women, if you really want to know what it means to be a godly wife and mother, to be a godly friend and employee, then there are amazing, wonderful women in our church that can help you And learn from them. Seek them out. And develop relationships with them. Before we go on to our passage today, I'd like to take a few moments to put a biblical framework around the family portrait of the wife. The first truth in our frame is that men and women are fundamentally equal. There is ontological equality. That word's being. There is being equality. There is fundamental being equality between men and women. This is an important truth. We see it from the very moments of creation. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. At creation, men and women were both made in the image of God. In Genesis 2, we read that woman was made from Adam's rib and was fashioned as his helper, his companion. But women do not get their identity from men. Women get their identity from God. He made them in his image. Women in their very nature reflect the God of creation. Women stand equal with men before God's eyes, both carrying the dignity of his image and both carrying the responsibilities for their souls both carrying the worth of their maker and both carrying the consequences 
of their own decisions. There's an important verse in the New Testament that speaks to this fundamental equality. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ we are one body, all equally valuable and equally important. It doesn't matter your nationality, it doesn't matter your social status, and it doesn't matter your gender. We are all one, unequivocally equal. 1 Corinthians 12 speaks powerfully about the work of the Holy Spirit in gifting his church. In verse 7 it says, The Spirit gives to each one, every believer, spiritual gifts for the common good of the whole church. Men and women are equally gifted by the Holy Spirit for service to God through ministry in a local church to fulfill their varying roles. Verses 12 and 13 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we could biblically add, male or female, all were made to drink of one spirit. 1 Peter 3.7, while addressing the responsibilities of husbands, it says that believing wives are heirs with you of the grace of promise. Our relationship with the Father is equal. Both men and women are children of God. Both men and women are heirs with Christ of God's eternal kingdom through the grace of life. The Bible is crystal clear. Men and women are fundamentally equal and stand before God as their own unique creations of God. In no way whatsoever is there any difference between men and women in our being. We are equal image bearers of God and one in Christ Jesus. The second truth in our biblical frame of the picture of our wife is that men and women have functionally different familial roles. We see this from the very dawn of creation. As was read to us there, Genesis 2 states that Adam was created first, and he was put in the garden to work it and to keep it. In that perfect environment, where there was no sin, and Adam had a perfect and intimate relationship with God, that first man found himself in need. He found himself in want. He had all those animals. He named each one. He had this amazing garden that supplied his every need of food and shelter. Yet he was alone. There was something profoundly missing in Adam. God himself said that it wasn't good for man to be alone. So he created Eve out of one of Adam's ribs. I think God created Adam and Eve in this order for a reason. He could have just created Eve at the time he created Adam and put them together. But he waited. He did it differently because he wanted to teach everyone that this relationship of marriage, this relationship of love and companionship was a special, unique creation of his. It was God himself that brought Eve to Adam. It was God himself who not only created man and woman, but brought them together in marriage. It says, and the rib that the Lord had given, had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. 
You can almost picture God saying to Adam, Adam, come here. I got something special for you. No, no. I got someone special for you. Remember, I took that rib and guess what I did? I made a helper. I made a completer. I made a companion for you. Love her as I have loved you. And then he reaches over and pulls Eve over to Adam. Adam looks at her and he says, Whoa, man! (laughs) And he exclaimed, This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Whoa, man! Because she was taken out of man. You see, God knew all along. This is our God. God knew all along that men needed women. That women needed men. God planned all along that he was going to create two image bearers. And he chose to create in such a way as to show our need for each other. And to show us his loving plan of marriage. The very next verse in that text is the foundational verse of family. Genesis 2:24 says, "Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." From the very inception of creation, God defined marriage as a man and a woman leaving their family of origin and coming together as one flesh, creating a new family. We see that before sin entered the world, there were differing roles and responsibilities. Man was created first, and male's leadership and headship is shown by that. Twice the Apostle Paul refers to the creation order as showing male leadership in 1 Corinthians 11.8 and 1 Timothy 2.13. God gave the instructions to Adam to not eat the forbidden fruit before Eve was even created. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, it was Adam's responsibility to lead and to protect his wife from the forbidden fruit. And in Genesis 3, 6, when Eve took the fruit, the scripture says that Adam was right there with her. The first sin was Eve taking the fruit. But the second sin that's nearly concurrent that simultaneous with Eve's sin was Adam's failure to lead and protect and love his wife. Another way we see Adam's role of leader is in the description of God's purpose for Eve. He created her to be a helper fit for Adam. They were made to complement each other, one as leader and head, one as helper and companion. Before sin entered the world, Adam was the responsible leader of Eve. And Eve was the responding helper. This was a beautiful, balanced relationship of love and respect. But once sin entered their lives, this mutually supporting, fulfilling relationship was severely tainted. Then in the curse to the woman, God says in Genesis 3.16, that your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule Over you. You see, it's part of the curse. It's the result of sin that husbands try to rule over their wives. God never intended marriage to be like that. And He doesn't want our marriages to be like that. Men are not the rulers of their wives, and women are not in subjection to their husbands. 
That is not a biblical, proper picture of marriage. That's the picture of a marriage polluted with sin. A marriage that godly men and women try to avoid. Leading, protecting, and loving is so much different than ruling, controlling, and domineering. Men are called to lead, not rule. They're called to protect, not control. They're called to love, not domineer. There's a significant difference. The wife is called to submit. We will see that in passages to come. But how much easier and how much more enjoyable is it for the wife to submit if she is led, if she's protected, if she's loved as God calls us, us men to love? The wife is called to the role of loving submission. This is the very teaching of Scripture. We've seen that taught clearly in Genesis chapter 2, and we see this truth taught in our passage today in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and 24, where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And it says, Now as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Titus 2.5 says, Train the young women to be submissive to their husbands. And 1 Peter 3, 1 and 5 say, Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. It is a clear teaching of Scripture that we have differing roles and responsibilities for men and women when it comes to marriage and family. Wives are called by God to be submissive to their husbands. We'll be looking in two Sundays from now at the role and responsibilities of the husband as a loving leader. So let's summarize these two main truths that place this frame around the picture of the role of the wife. We have seen that men and women are fundamentally equal image bearers of God. And we've seen that the role of the wife is functionally submissive to their husband. You know, there are three viewpoints in our society, in our, in our Christian culture today, that interact with these two biblical truths in addressing the role of the women. One is called egalitarianism. Egalitarianism, is, it sounds just like it says. It says that there's no difference whatsoever between men and women. They're equal in every way. They're equal in being, and they're equal in function. All the statements of Scripture that point to the differing roles of women are supposed to be stood as contextually conditioned by the culture of their times. They say that God really isn't teaching what the Bible says. They say that the Bible is a patriarchal book and our, our culture has matured past the teaching of the Bible. They overemphasize and broaden the biblical teaching of the fundamental equality of men and women while minimizing and dismissing the biblical teaching of the functional differences of the husband and wife. It is this view that leads one to dismiss the headship of the husband which then undermines several other passages of Scripture, including ones that describe Christ as the head of the church. And it leads one down the road to female clergy. Well, a second way that is equally unbalanced is the authoritarian view. This view sounds like what it says. The male is the authoritarian, the ruler of the home. Control and obedience are used to manipulate and demean this view overemphasizes the teaching of the headship of the husband and the submissiveness of the wife. 
The CEO allows for oppressive rule and treats women as second-class citizens, as servants of men. That is not the biblical view of submission by the wife or the biblical view of leadership for the husband. That is not the teaching of the Bible, just like the egalitarian view is not the teaching of the Bible. God never placed a husband as head of the family so that he could rule, but that he would lovingly lead. The best way to put it is called the complementary view. This view takes both foundational truths of the Bible, fundamental equality and functional differing roles, and holds them in balance with both being 100% true. This view understands that the wife was given the role of submission to reflect the truth of how the church submits to Jesus, which is in Ephesians 5.24, and the husband was given the role of loving leader to reflect the truth of how Jesus loves and leads his church, which we see in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 and 25. This view believes that God created male and female to reflect complementary truths about Jesus. Husbands are supposed to love and lead like Jesus. Wives are supposed to love and submit like Jesus. An amazing truth that the scripture gives us that illustrates both the facts of fundamental equality and functional differences is the Godhead. It's the very Trinity itself. The three persons of the Godhead are equal. 100% equal in all respects. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all share the same divine essence and attributes and nature. That's the clear teaching of scriptures. And the scriptures also teach that within that co-equal, eternal Godhead, there were functionally different roles. To just simply state the doctrinal truth, the Bible teaches that the Father sent the Son and the Son sent the Spirit. The Bible teaches the Father gave us Jesus, and Jesus gave us the Spirit. The Bible teaches that the Father predestined, the Son was obedient to the Father's plan, and the Spirit came to testify about the truth of the Son. We see clearly taught in the Scriptures fundamental and absolute equality within the Trinity, and yet functional, differing roles and responsibilities with the willing submission of the one to the other. The Trinity is a great example for us of equality with differing roles and submission. We could spend a whole sermon and more giving biblical evidence for this doctrinal truth, but I just want to point out this biblical truth to illustrate to us the Trinity, the very relationship of the Godhead. It's the model, the type, the pattern, the ideal for the relationship between husband and wife in marriage. The pattern for the organization and working of the church, the body of Christ. The pattern for the organization and working of the marriage and family is patterned after the very organization and working of the Trinity itself. Well, with our frame now securely and biblically in place, let's take a moment and turn in our scriptures to our passage this morning to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands.
You know, these truths are not stated in the most culturally sensitive way for our ears. But it's God's word and we're committed to conform our lives to the teaching of God through his word. The big challenge we get when we hear these words read is that our ears hear the word submission, but our minds translate that word to mean subjugation. Submission does not in any way mean subjugation. Listen to synonyms there for, for submission, like proposal, suggestion, offer, idea, deference, assent, yield. Now listen to some synonyms for subjugation. Suppression, overthrow, dominate, defeat, and control. No one wants subjugation. No one in their right mind would choose subjugation. And God doesn't call anyone to subjugation. Biblical submission is not in any way like subjugation. I used this illustration a couple weeks ago, and it came back to my mind as I was driving down 616 here. Just this past week, Struthers and all their infinite wisdom added a stop sign on 616 at Lyons Boulevard. It's now a four-way stop. I even saw an article about it online about people complaining about uh, the stop signs. In the article, the gas station said uh, that's there on the corner, there, the owner of the gas station said, was questioning how effective the stop signs will be, saying there was an accident there the very first day the stop signs were put up. But we know when you come to a stop sign that you have to stop and yield the right-of-way. Listen to this quote. When you yield the right-of-way to another vehicle, you are letting them go before you in the traffic situation. Few areas of traffic safety are more misunderstood than yield to the driver on the right rule. That's a time for an amen right there. That's an amen. This is the rule that controls most intersections when drivers arrive at the intersection simultaneously. For instance, you come upon a stop sign at the same time as another driver in a cross street, and he is on your right. You yield. You give up the right of way to that driver by letting them go first. It's not that you're inferior to the other driver if you yield the right of way to them. It has nothing to do with your equality. It has to do with the functioning of the traffic so that everything runs smoothly and correctly. It's a great picture of submission. The biblical plan for marriage, for marriage to run smoothly and correctly, God calls the wife to submit, to yield the right of way to her husband. Wives, when you and your husband come to a stop sign, and at some time there with some kind of disagreement or some kind of difficulty, do you force your way through? Do you manipulate your way through? Do you step on the gas and charge right on through? Or do you yield the right of way to your husband? Do you work together, respectfully allowing your husband to be that loving leader? A wise husband, a biblical leader husband, seeks unity and partnership and will often also yield to his wife. Men, godly biblical leadership is not about getting your way. Godly biblical leadership is about getting God's way. Any smart leader knows that he needs to learn from someone who is better at doing something than they are. 
No man worth his weight in salt wants a passive, compliant, and lifeless wife. No, we want strong, capable, skilled, godly women who flourish and use their God-given talents and abilities to their fullest extent. Our church is full of strong, capable, skilled, and godly women. Women who have helped build and manage wonderful Christian homes. Women who have helped nurture and raise godly children. Women who, like Proverbs 31 women, have successful careers and job opportunities. Women who serve their God with great dedication and distinction in this church. If you hear someone say that submission means that you have to have dozens of children, you have to be a stay-at-home housewife, you have to clean toilets every day, you have to completely forego a career, you have to chuck your brains, you have to tolerate abuse, you have to watch Leave it to Beaver reruns endlessly. You have to bury your gifts. You have to deny your personality. You have to bobblehead yes every time your husband says something. Don't believe them. That is not submission. Look around you. There are example after example of godly wives and mothers who are strong, capable, and skilled women who still seek biblically to be submissive to their husbands. You see, the power of a submissive wife is not in her following the leadership of her husband, but in her following the leadership of her Lord, Jesus Christ. Did you get that? See, the power of a submissive wife is not in her following the leadership of her husband, but in following the leadership of Jesus, her Lord and Savior. How does the scripture say that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands? It says... To submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Wives, why should you submit to your husbands? Because it's one of the ways that you can show Christ reigning and ruling in your life. Wives, it is your submission to the Lord that empowers you to be submissive to your husbands. You first and foremost is your dedication to be obedient to Christ. It's always more imperative to obey Christ first. If a husband's leadership ever leads you in a way down in a sin in any kind of way, then your submission to Christ rules your life first. Wives are supposed to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The power of your submission comes from the Lord, and the priority of your submission is to the Lord. As in any relationship, wives, seek God first, and he will guide you into being a godly wife. So first we saw that wives are supposed to submit to their own husbands. The Bible calls a wife to the role of loving submission in a marriage relationship. Next we saw that marital submission is based on the wife's own growing and dependent relationship with Jesus Christ. Wives, you know if you want to see your husbands grow and thrive. Wives, if you want to see your husband find great fulfillment in life and in marriage, If you want your husbands to be the leaders in the home, strong and engaged and loving. If you want to have the best possible, most beautiful, blessed marriage relationship possible, then pursue biblical submission to your husband as you do to your God. Lastly, I want to say from this passage that it's the husband's responsibility to create the environment where submission is easy. 
The husband is supposed to lead in such a way that the wife finds delight and fulfillment in being submissive to her husband. We'll get into this in far more detail when we talk about the husband's role. But verse 23, there in Ephesians 5, is sandwiched between two verses on the wife's submission. And it tells the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. See, this verse is not talking just about authority and headship, but it's defining for us what is authority and headship. You see, a husband is supposed to lead his family like Christ leads the church. You know, Jesus is not sitting in his easy chair in heaven demanding the church be obedient to him. He's not commanding his minions to bow to his lordship. No, he is serving. He is saving. He's equipping. He's loving. He is leading his church. Did he not sacrifice his all to provide for the church the only way of hope and salvation? Jesus said, You know, that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The husband is supposed to lead in just such same ways that the wife finds delight and fulfillment in being submissive to her husband. If men led their wives like Christ led the church, how much easier, how much more fulfillment, how much more real satisfaction would a wife find in submitting to her husband? Submitting our lives to Christ is not a great burden, but the greatest blessings of our lives. If only we men would lead like Jesus leads us. Wives, the Bible says, submit to your own husband as unto the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning so thankful for your scriptures. You have not left us wandering hopelessly and aimlessly. You've given us clear teaching and truth to instruct us in our everyday lives. It's powerful and it's real. And we thank you for that. Lord, there's always an awful lot we can learn in our lives. We continue to learn and to grow and to change. And so, this morning, we submit to you, asking you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, to come into us and move us and to change us, to convict us, to help us evaluate, as wives, how we can grow, as husbands, how we can grow, as families, how we can reach out with the truth of God's word in our community. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your plan. We thank you for your creation. In Jesus' name, amen.